Radio Network. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, stepping in for our regular uh, host, Tim Soder, today. And this afternoon, I'll be speaking with the usual show guests, His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicada, Assistant Pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Your Excellency and Father, thank you as always for joining us. We're, we're here finally at the end of the season. Thank you. Happy to be here, Stephen. As always, uh, for this season, uh, season three of Francis Watch, all the episodes are provided free of charge to the public, courtesy of Novus Ordo Watch. Are you wondering what has happened to the Roman Catholic Church? Are you confused, shocked, alarmed at what Francis has been saying recently? Then log on to NovusOrdoWatch.org for traditional Catholic news and information with insightful commentary and razor-sharp analysis. Since 2002, Novus Ordo Watch has been exposing the Vatican II Church and its false popes by comparing and contrasting their new religion with the true religion, the modernist Novus Ordo teachings with the teachings of the Catholic Church. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org, that's NovusOrdoWatch.org, to see why Francis is not a true pope and how the modernist Vatican II sect differs from the Catholic Church. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org. Well, Your Excellency and Father, we're... We're at the end of the season. We've we've covered a lot of, of different things uh, throughout throughout this year. One of the things that we're starting to see now, which we were talking about a little bit in the pre-show, is what happens in any revolution, which is the the liberals eventually become the conservatives after everybody's heads get chopped off. And you were talking about the fact that there's got to be a distinction made between is this a Bergoglio problem? Or is this a Vatican II problem? Because we can just get rid of Bergoglio and we can go back to Ratzinger and, and long, uh, uh, long miters, etc. Um, what's the danger that we need to make sure that, that we're aware of at this point? What's well, the danger of distraction? Um, not looking for what the ultimate cause is of uh, all of the chaos that uh, Bergoglio has, has caused, that ultimately it is uh, traceable back to the Vatican II theological uh, revolution. And it is uh, uh, time that those who are objecting to the different specific things that Bergoglio does, it's time that they uh, look back to uh, trace the original cause of it. For he is, he is truly a uh, man of uh, Vatican II and of the Vatican II revolution. Your Excellency? Yes, I, I think uh, the danger is uh, what, would, what happened in the French Revolution, or the way the French Revolution is seen today. That, yes, there was Robespierre, uh, various radicals who chopped people's heads off and, and did terrible things and 
they, they were just awful. But that the basic message of the revolution was correct and good, and once all of those excesses were wiped away, we have a wonderful uh, revolutionary period and all of the principles are established. That is the danger. They, they, these people that are objecting to Bergoglio, all these conservatives that are wringing their hands right now, are just reacting to him as if he is a Robespierre, as if he is some sort of radical that is off the rails and that uh, for, whom, for whose death we simply need to pray and wait until we get another Ratzinger back, something like the Thermidorian reaction, you know, when the quote-unquote conservatives, that means the, the less radical people, uh, took over in the French Revolution and chopped off the heads of all of the, the extremely radical people. Uh, that's the danger. And, but the, the problem is that Bergoglio is true to Vatican II. He said it right at the beginning that Vatican II has not been properly established and properly enacted, and that he has the humility to do it, and only he has the humility to do it. You remember that. that. And, uh, and he's right. It has not been, and he is doing it, because the, the essential message of Vatican II is the primacy of human conscience over dogma. And that was seen in ecumenism, it was seen in the new ecclesiology, uh, which is really a branch of ecumenism, but it was mostly seen in the decree on religious liberty, in which human beings cannot be coerced to act against their conscience, as if the conscience is a type of king over all human activity. That, is, that idea of Vatican II is directly contrary to dogma because dogma is obligatory thought for everybody, obligatory statements and obligatory ideas for everybody. So conscience, if you say conscience is primary over dogma, well then all, all the gates open. Now, the, the, uh, the other predecessors of Bergoglio concern themselves only with ecumenism principally, and they destroyed Catholic dogma through ecumenism. But Bergoglio is going for all of it now. He's going for all of the moral dogmas of the Catholic Church. And so we see that he really wants to, to have a church that recognizes sodomy, fornication, and adultery, and artificial birth control. And if you admit the principles of Vatican II, then those things make all of the sense in the world to respect people's consciences concerning all of those things. And I think that Burke and people like him are missing that point, and they are just playing the fiddle of, uh, of Bergoglio's being just too radical in all of this. And this is a misinterpretation of Vatican II, and what we need to do is go back to a Ratzinger. Well, you know, you're, you're, see, you, you, don't have to, you don't have to worry about finding a Ratzinger. He's still back there on the papal estate, you know. You can... Uh, <laughs> There, and, and it's funny too because we've talked about before that I, you know, I was born after Paul the Sixth, so I only know about the the two Paul the Sixes theory because I read about it. And it's easy for me to laugh about it because I wasn't alive back then. But I'm watching a new sort of a neo seriism this resignationism idea that oh well he was forced to resign and he's still really the Pope and or you know I, I'm just you know. Um, People put bumper stickers on, you know, that says, you know, my president is Charlton Heston, you know, when he was president of the NRA. And I'm just waiting for the bumper stickers. My pope is, is Vic the 
2016, I'm watching this Neo, Neo Siri theory um, and this Ratzinger thing play out because that's part of the confusion, too. People are trying to figure out answers. Okay, so I'm getting a bit of insight into what happened in the 60s when this was happening with Paul VI. People invented the two Paul VI's theory, and then I heard about it a little bit with JP2 is locked down in a dungeon somewhere. And um, so then now we're watching, well, we all know that Ratzinger is the real pope. And, you know, he's just waiting to see how far this will go, and then he'll, he'll, he'll uh, reassume the throne. So it's really, really interesting. If they do want another Ratzinger, they don't have too far, and they can have a, um, a, a new Avignon uh, papacy. I guess maybe a Castel Gandolfo papacy will have someone hanging out of her house, and then someone who's at the Vatican. I don't think Ratzinger in any way objects to Bergoglio. If he does, it's only slightly. It would be a question of how far and how fast, but not in principle. I I don't think he objects to Bergoglio. Uh, Ratzinger is a modernist. He's a radical. He always was a radical. Uh, He himself said, who knows what the papacy will be like in in the future. Uh, He's an evolutionist. He believes in development of doctrine in, in a heretical sense. Uh, so you're not going to see uh, you know, any any kind of reaction from from Ratzinger, but and he will pass away or he'll he'll become demented or something. But they they're, they're the the idea I think in most people's minds is that at the next conclave, which will happen in a few years, there will be a reaction and we'll get uh, another Ratzinger and everything will be fine. Uh, and uh, we're, we're back on track, and, and we'll condemn abortion, we'll condemn all of these other things that Bergoglio didn't want to do, but at the same time we'll be ecumenical, and we will have all of the liturgical disaster and doctrinal disaster of Vatican II ensconced permanently. The, uh, uh, some of the people who uh, adhere to the idea that you've just mentioned, in fact, talk about the biological solution for Bergoglio, that, well, he's going to die so we can get someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the other things that I would add, Stephen, to uh, what uh, you and His Excellency said about um, uh, Ratzinger uh, versus Bergoglio and the two Paul VI is it takes us back all the time to uh, trying to people trying to figure out how possibly all of these these errors and these evil laws uh, could have come from authority in the church and the, uh, trying to reconcile the uh, the idea that uh, uh, somehow these ideas did not come from true authority in the church that they came from the the, the false pope uh, either the false Bergoglio or, or the false uh, Paul VI or, heaven help us, the false JP2. Well, I mean, Father, that's, because, that's just because you're not down with the hermeneutic of continuity. If you, if, you, if you understood that, if you really understood that, then this wouldn't be a problem for you. you you're too tied up with those scholastic ideas of contradiction and uh, – Syllogisms, you know, it's this is a yeah, this is a very old-fashioned so. way to do theology. You're doing theology with books as opposed to on your knees, Father. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that the uh, uh, law of contradiction was repealed at Vatican II at some point, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> well, we've got a we've got a lot of material to, um, and we're going to start with the quote-unquote conservative minority reaction, and I have to say. 
I don't know what planet I'm on when the Australians and the Americans represent the tip of the spear for the conservatives. <laughs> but we've got uh, Car- we've got Cardinal Burke um, talking comments about you know if we don't get it right on marriage, I don't know how people can trust us, or the the church's ship has lost its compass, and it takes me back. I don't know, maybe about a decade or so in the United States when this idea behind partial birth abortion and the the U.S. conference said, this is our line in the sand. And then, of course, the line in the sand was promptly erased and moved forward. And and you think, okay, marriage, this is going to be our line in the sand. And for those of us who've been watching for many years, we know this is an empty threat, but it sounds like some pretty good uh, sound bites for people who haven't been paying attention. Uh, one of them is from a, a CNS news story. Burke says, we have to recognize that if we don't get it right about marriage, in other words, if we're not faithful to the word of Christ, to the truth which Christ announced to us about marriage in the church, I don't know how people can trust us with regard to teaching the truth of the faith in any other matter. Of course, that's true, uh, although marriage is only one aspect of the Catholic faith. I mean, that was true the day that Vatican II convened. You know, there. Why are we saying this after 50 years when so many other doctrines have been contradicted by Vatican II? Uh, it's. Uh, I. I. I think the the reason for it is that these are hot button issues, and that because of the general materialism of the modern world, uh, things that have to do with sexuality are much more apparent and appalling than things that have to do with the majesty of God. So you can deny, for example, that we have to uh, adhere to the true faith, and no, nobody blinks an eye at that. You can, you can have outrageous acts of ecumenism, nobody blinks an eye. But when it comes to divorce, marriage, fornication, and all of these other things, well then, uh, you know, people start to say, well, there's something wrong here. There's been something wrong for 50 years. Why now? But uh, also, I think it's, I think Burke and the rest of them are just talking. Uh, they will do nothing. Uh, they, uh, um, I, I don't think they have any guts in them to to really do anything serious because they would have done it already. You, yes, absolutely. Um, uh, they can they can say something like this and cause a cause a stir in the press, but uh, in practically speaking, if Bergoglio goes through with his program, I really can't see them uh, doing anything. They will uh, they will simply go along with it and uh, try to finesse it somehow and, and uh, try to explain and justify their going along with it in one way or another. Yes, remember that they, uh, what I said in another show is that they absolve themselves by their suffering through it. That we don't like this and this is bad and they huff and puff and and that is a self-absolution uh, and requires them, uh, they no longer have the requirement to do anything about it because their suffering has absolved them from all obligation. It's, it's like one uh, wag said in the 60s that uh, God must have loved spineless bishops because he made so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> Present company excluded, of course. <laughs> Well, I do have a pain in my back. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> only kidding. <laughs> uh, here, here's some uh, here's some more Burke comments. Uh, this was posed to him as a question uh, in an in an interview, uh, in and, and it was posted on Rarate Chaley in November. 
Francis spoke in his final message to the Synod of a hostile rigidity, and he lamented that some close themselves within what is written, quote, unquote, without allowing themselves to be surprised by God, quote, unquote. How do you interpret his words? Burke responds, it is difficult. <laughs> they can right. be interpreted in the sense that doctrine and discipline are opposed to the action of the Holy Spirit. This is not the Catholic way of thinking. Doctrine and discipline are the conditions for a true, here it is, encounter with Christ. I have heard many saying that the Pope does not want to insist on discipline nor on doctrine. It is not the adequate interpretation of his words. Well, again, here we are. It's the media's fault, isn't it, Your Excellency? Yes, it's that, it's that media theology and, and the poor Pope is, is being you know, misinterpreted by the media. Well, you can see Burke's uh, inability to, to have any kind of uh, meaningful and, and courageous response. He, he's uh, wriggling out of, the, uh, out of the whole mess, which is as obvious as anything, because the, the, if you compare what Bergoglio said in, in that context to everything else he said, it is another attack upon dogma. Uh, and Bergoglio has understood that the primacy of conscience guaranteed by Vatican II is opposed to dogma. Anyone can see that. It's been a constant theme. He's very clear. He's not like Ratzinger who always spoke in ways that no one could understand. Bergoglio, for all of his faults, is very clear. And he detests dogma. This is another obsessive attack upon dogma. And the thing that Burke should have said is precisely that that the the Pope, quote-unquote, is opposed to dogma. He, He detests dogma. And dogma is an essential part of the Catholic Church. In fact, it is the most important part of the Catholic Church, since without dogma you can't even be Catholic. Uh, these are not, you know, bad interpretations or things. You know, this is real meat and potatoes of, of Roman Catholicism. And so Burke is just another modernist who happens to be a conservative modernist, what we might call a Ratzingerian modernist. Uh, that is someone totally imbued with all of the principles of Vatican II, but uh, has, has some sort of you know, Catholic hangover. He has some notion of what Catholicism is about, whereas the others have completely abandoned it. The uh, line uh, that uh, he has about uh, Ratzin- or rather Bergoglio's statements can be interpreted in the sense that doctrine and discipline are opposed to the action of the Holy Spirit. This is not a Catholic way of thinking. To me, that shows that uh, Burke uh, understands that uh, there is clearly a uh, clearly a problem here, but he's not really willing to take a, a strong stand on it because he has still bought into the Vatican II program. Yeah, the proper response would have been that's heresy. See, there is that they will not pronounce that word to say, well, it's not a Catholic way of thinking. You know, well, you know, so, that's like mind reading. You know, yeah, you know, uh, what does that you're, mean? You're thinking. Yes, you, yeah, it's heresy. Uh, there, there is no objectivity in their thinking. It, uh, it is either something is orthodox or, or heretical to, to say that dogma contradicts the Holy Ghost. I mean, why? Did, it's everything there. You know, the the uh, he will teach you all things. He is the spirit of truth. 
our Lord said. You know, and he is opposed to dogma. We we don't really use words like heresy anymore. Uh, your, your Excellency, this is not uh, this is not the time for such a harsh language. I mean, really, it's going to scare people off from an encounter with Christ. That's I think so. But it is. I mean, nothing positive will happen unless that word is pronounced. Just just mark my words. Unless that word is pronounced, nothing positive will happen. Well, if anyone from the modern Vatican is listening, the bishop is happy to record the word for you in multiple languages and send it to you. And you can, if you don't want to say it, you can just hit play, and he'll say it for you. Um, that you know, you're actually that gives me an idea for a product we might come up with for next year for for Christmas. Is we could come up with a Bishop Sanborn doll that has uh, certain <laughs> phrases that you can say. You know, but that's heresy, or you that's pull an the string or you, want, you can just yeah, you put. <laughs> And then we could just—that's a—that's a great idea. I'll—I'll I'll note that. How down. much would you charge for? It? Well, I don't know. That'd be a, that'd be a very valuable thing. And we we could send we could send a couple to Italy. From the same interview, we we have another question here that says, and 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 this to me the answer is uh, a perfect example of of not just contradiction, but well, I guess double think is contradiction, but the 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 answer is is so off. You said that Evangelii Gaudium is not part of the magisterium. Why? Burke says, The Pope himself says in the beginning of the document that it is not magisterial, that it only offers indications of the direction in which he will take the church. So, so the magisterium has nothing to do with the leadership of the Pope. Those two things are, are separate ideas. Um, and, and some something that comes out of a synod of bishops has nothing to do with the magisterium. It's confined to some never-never land of documents. I suppose that's the file in the Holy Office, Your Excellency, of stuff that doesn't count. How do you, how do you say that in Italian? This, this stuff doesn't matter. Uh, well, Burke, again, is wrong. They, they, any pope, in order to speak privately, which would not be magisterially, uh, would have to purposely exclude it, and it would have to be so obvious as if, if if he were talking to somebody over breakfast, for example. That's not magisterium. And if he were quoted as uh, as you know by someone uh, what he said at breakfast time, that's obviously not magisterial. But to produce a document to the whole church uh, and with with teaching in it uh, is magisterial. Is by its very nature, it's magisterial. It's not some sort of private talk that he's having. Uh, and uh, so it's impossible for him to to steer around it. it. It's it's like a judge in a bench. If he's presiding over a courtroom, and he's making statements to the whole court that concern uh, some case or a criminal, he cannot avoid a, a a what we might call a magisterial statement or a judicial statement. He would have to go into his chambers, or as they often do, to to have a, a private talk. See, so it, 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 it's something that he cannot avoid if he is saying something to the whole church uh, as an instruction. Now, the, that would be a, 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 what we would call a, at least authentic magisterium. That is, that it is a teaching that proceeds from the Holy Father as he is the teacher of the whole church. Uh, it wouldn't necessarily attain ordinary universal magisterium which is a whole other thing, and which we won't go into here, but it, at least it is what you call authentic magisterium. 
So Burke is just wrong about that. But don't forget these people have not received very good training. And they've been imbued with the principles of Vatican II for years. Also, the the notion of authentic magisterium is is uh, Catholic is uh, obliged to submit to that. It's not uh, it's not optional, because the 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 uh, uh, true pope is exercising uh, his teaching authority, the teaching authority he's received from Christ, and you can't simply blow it off and say that well, it doesn't fall under. Uh, universal ordinary magisterium, or it doesn't fall under solemn magisterium, so I can stop my ears. Mm-hmm. Yes, it requires an assent. It's very analogous to a teacher in a classroom, uh, and but where the teacher happens to be someone who is speaking with the authority of God and of the Church, and the authority of God and of the Church require uh, an assent. So whereas you might say, well, I, I don't necessarily have to agree with my teacher, uh, you do have to uh, give assent, what we call a religious assent at least, which is not the assent of faith, but religious assent to what the Pope says. And and you cannot just uh, tune him out, as Father Ciccata says. Uh, uh, but yeah, when, I, when I say a teacher in a classroom, when he does authentic magisterium, he is acting in, in uh, an office. He's not merely talking to one of his friends. He's acting in an official way. Could you say it's like uh, the teacher saying, this is going to be on the test, you have to know it? <laughs> yes, yes. You know. <laughs> yes, so you better get the right answer or else you flunk. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. <laughs> right well, this is going to be on your permanent record, capital P, capital R. Yes. Um, we have uh, more of the hand-rigging that the uh, bishop uh, alluded to. We have uh, Neo uh, Novus Ordo uh, Bishop, Athanasius Schneider, you know they're going to love that name. Um, and and uh, Cardinal George, uh, Novus Ordo Cardinal George, both engaging in a lot of hand-rigging. The uh, Schneider interview was also featured in November on Rurate Chaley. And uh, some words from Cardinal George were featured on cruxnow.com. Uh, That's C-R-U-X-N-O-W.com. I- I'm just going to read a few because it's a very lengthy interview, but I'm just going to take a few excerpts here that uh, that Father Jakarta has prepared for us. One, uh, in fact, the bishops who support Holy Communion for divorce and remarried are the new Pharisees and scribes because they neglect the commandment of God, contributing to the fact that out of the body and of the heart of the divorced and remarried continue to proceed adulteries, Matthew 15:19 because they want an exteriorly clean solution and to appear clean as well in the eyes of those who have power, the social media, etc. He goes on to say, one cardinal who openly and strongly supported the issue of Holy Communion for divorced and remarried, and even the shameful statements on homosexual quote-unquote couples in the preliminary relatio, was dissatisfied with the final relatio and declared impudently, the glass is half full, and analogously, he said that one has to work that next year at the Synod, it will be full. Well, no doubt. It will, it will overflow with all sorts of filthy things. Uh, this is Cardinal George? That was No, this uh, is uh, Bishop Athanasius Snyder. Athanasius, yes. Obviously, his analysis is good, that, that yes, they are trying to uh, be externally justified, even though internally and, and even externally they're full of sin. 
that the idea that they can receive Holy Communion with, with sin on their souls is a type of Phariseeism. I would say that's true. Uh, he misses the point that it's Bergoglio behind this whole thing, that Bergoglio has put Casper, who is the person that he's obviously referring to, in front of all of the bishops as the savior of the day, as the great theologian, the theologian doing theology on his knees, all of this nonsense that he's saying. Uh, he misses that point. So, you know, again, what is, how does it count? Uh, that's a very nice statement. Thank you. And, and sit down. We need some teeth in this. We need to have a, an accusing finger uh, against Bergoglio that he is at the bottom of this abandonment of the Catholic faith. I suppose he's unwittingly Athanasius contra papam in this case, because uh, he's he's trying to blame he's trying to blame it on the synod. Uh, Cardinal George, I think, does the same thing, although he's more direct. Your Excellency, he's, uh, Cardinal George, um, in the cruxnow.com piece, says the question is raised: Why doesn't he himself clarify these things? Why is it necessary that apologists have to bear that burden of trying to put the best possible face on it? Does he not realize the consequences of some of his statements or even some of his actions? Does he not realize the repercussions? Perhaps he doesn't. I don't know whether he's conscious of all the consequences of some of the things he said and done that raise these doubts in people's minds. The he doesn't know what he's doing thesis. What do you think, right. Father? <laughs> the uh, mentevacantism, I guess. Yes, Or that that Bergoglio somehow is a robot, and he he has a robot mouth, and he says all of these things, and he uh, lacks uh, any sort of consciousness. Uh, again, it's it's ridiculous because he refuses both he and Bishop Snyder refuse to point the finger and uh, to say the the H word heresy. Mm-hmm. that uh, Bergoglio is, in fact, uh, at the bottom of this. He's allowing all of this to go on. And uh, Bishop Snyder and uh, Cardinal George are uh, trying to excuse him. So the, this, uh, you know, they're, they're not putting, they're pointing at the real heart of the problem, which uh, is uh, Bergoglio, and then ultimately behind him is Vatican II. And we let me add this. I gave a sermon back in I think nineteen ninety seven or around there about Cardinal George's mass for homosexuals. So who is he to talk? Where it was in the Wanderer. Where the, I think you mean who is he to judge? Yeah, yeah I mean really, to, yeah. really, Your Excellency. I mean, who he, are you? To I actually get it was outrageous. In the cathedral, he was had a mass, and the homosexuals were in the pews holding hands and. You know, acting amorously in the pews. This, this was an eyewitness who was who was talking about this, and 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 I gave a sermon, the death of outrage, that these things could happen, and that nobody gives a hoot about it. And and uh, so George is no one to talk. I mean, he's just as bad as the rest of them. He he may have gotten slightly more conservative in the past few years, but I mean, he, he again, it's Vatican too. Vatican II is an intellectual poison. It's like a virus in the computer. You can't do anything with it. The whole thing, it shuts down all of Catholic reaction and Catholic sight, Catholic vision of everything. And it makes it all just pluralistic gobbledygook. 
uh, and they're incapable of any other kind of thought or action. And that's that's what we're seeing. They, they, they yeah, they're, they're coming up with a few, you know, oh, how could this be? And, and you know, hand wringing. They they will soon need some arthritic medicine or medicine for arthritis if they wring their hands anymore. Uh, you know, so they'll be on pills. Uh, because uh, you know that's all they do, and they they lament and oh isn't this too bad? They're incapable of anything because of Vatican II, not necessarily because of lack of guts, but because of Vatican II, it it spoils their entire Catholic vision and attitude. Well, for for those of you who haven't heard Bishop Sanborn's sermons from the '90s, there there will be no <laughs> lack of outrage in in a sermon, even if it's called the Death of Outrage. Uh, I'd like you to consider the opposite of that title if you if you want to find it out. Um, Father, do you have anything to add on this? Because I want to move on to, um, we've been talking about what the bishops have been saying, and I want to talk about the De Matei solution to the Synod. Uh, no, simply to reaffirm what, it, what His Excellency said, that it's the um, trying to build a resistance, as it were, uh, be it uh, on the part of Cardinal Burke or Bishop uh, uh, Snyder or Cardinal George or uh, anyone else in the post-Vatican II operation, trying to build it um, on the foundation and, and essence of, of Vatican II is to build it on sand because it's it's never going to go anywhere because Vatican II essentially... Uh, is the death of dogma, and uh, your whole foundation is uh, is undercut. I think that we can. I, I mentioned Roberto de Matei, and he's he's alive now. I'm alive now. I think of someone like Dietrich von Hildebrand, who coming out of Vatican II was struggling. Uh, you have people like Frank Sheed writing books called "Is It the Same Church?" because they're trying to a- answer that question themselves, and so they're trying to formulate responses and. De Matei is essentially proposing defending the faith, that's great, defending the faith against the Pope, right, when, when the Pope is the rule of faith. Uh, and this is, again, from taken from Rate Celi in November. It's titled um, The 2014 Synod and an Analysis of Vatican I. And from that first part, he says, The progressivist dream of republicanizing the Church and transforming her into a permanent synodal state i.e., there'll be a synod next year, is destined to infringe upon the constitu- Constitution Pastor Eternus of Vatican I, which defined not only the dogma of infallibility, but primarily the full and immediate power of the Pope over all the bishops and the entire Church. He goes on to speak about this a bit more, and he concludes, What is certain is that in ages of crisis, such as the one we are experiencing, all of the baptized have the right to defend their faith, even by opposing non-compliant pastors. Authentically orthodox pastors and theologians, for their part, have the need to study the extent and limits of this right to resistance. And there we see that word again, resisting uh, the Pope. Um, what, what are your thoughts so on So we're back on, in the time the tunnel to the early days of the uh, so-called traditionalist movement, that uh, you're trying to figure out the uh, question of uh, authority and how could all of this possibly come from someone who is uh, truly the vicar of Christ? And the uh, solution that uh, he 
that Dr. Dumetay comes up with is uh, basically the same untenable solution as before, the idea that uh, you have the right to resist the Roman pontiff, to ignore his teachings, and uh, to sift the, his, his uh, laws and his doctrinal pronouncements according to your own criteria. And that, of course, defeats the whole purpose of why Christ established uh, the papal office. So we're, it seems that we're, we're back to that. But you have to say that at least Dimatei is starting to realize that there is a problem, a real problem, with uh, what's supposedly coming, what is coming forth from what is supposedly authority. Yes, uh, the, uh, the it is really nothing new than the no addition to Lefebvreism. I mean, it's, he's just repeating Lefebvreism. Uh, the, what he's doing also is repeating what the old Catholics said at the time of Vatican I, that uh, we uh, that uh, the the people have a right to to accept or reject various doctrines that come out. It's Hans Kung that the the people will uh, correct the magisterium, correct the bishops and the pope. Uh, it, over a long period of time, they will accept certain things and reject certain things. Uh, this is Protestantism. He's talking about Protestantism. And as Father Chicada said, why do we need a pope, essentially? <laughs> if we can do this, why don't we open our Bibles and, and do this? Uh, what, is the, what authority does the pope have if the ultimate judgment lies in the, the, the judgment of Catholics? And what Catholics? Most Catholics applaud what he's saying. The vast majority of Catholics, 90%, applaud what what Bergoglio is doing and saying they think it's wonderful. So you know, De, De Mattei is is representing this tiny uh, fraction, maybe four or five percent of Catholics who are are opposing this or who find this objectionable. But you know, how do you make a church out of that? Because five percent say, well, it is not orthodox. That means the ninety five percent who accept it as orthodox are wrong. What kind of I mean, this man is an intelligent man? It, hasn't he thought about all of these things? If there is a problem of orthodoxy, there is a single thing for Catholics to do, and that is to accuse those who are unorthodox, no matter who they are, and to flee from them and to say that they do not hold the power they claim to have, because unorthodoxy—that is heresy—is incompatible with ruling the church. It's as simple as that. You don't need to, to be very intelligent to figure it out. Just as all of the, the lambs and the sheep would run out of the sheepfold if, if a wolf came in, they, they don't need to be told to do that. So also Catholics run away from the wolf, and, and a person is no more a wolf than, than a heretic. I mean, in a sense, the, 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 what makes you the greatest wolf of all is, is heresy. Uh, and and it also excludes you from the Catholic Church and automatically excuse, excludes you from having uh, from any sort of governmental activity uh, or magisterial activity or, or authority in the Catholic Church. These are simple simple concepts, and these people are descending into the most complex systems that have their roots in Protestantism and and the liberalism of the old Catholics. Well, if if we have De Matei representing one one take 
uh, or at least one Italian take. Sandra Magister um, obviously has another take. And going back to Cardinal George's lamentations, that does he know what he's doing? Um, we find out that, that Magister thinks at least that uh, the contradictions are intentional. And again, this is taken from uh, Where Else Rorate Celi. It was featured in November. And here the, the question was posed to uh, uh, Magister. So you have been a Vaticanist for a long time. What do you think of all of this? He responds that there are contradictions inherent in the character of Jorge Bergoglio. This is based on observations of valid evidence over many months. Well, what conclusions have you come to? Throughout his life, he has been a person who has acted on different fronts contemporarily and does the same thing now as pontiff. He leaves passages open, and on first reading, there are many contradictions. Anyway, those you mentioned are not the only ones. He goes on to say, um, uh, when, on, on speaking about the, the contradictory nature of the synod, an organization precisely calculated by the Pope not left to chance, as, would, as was led to believe, there were other contradictory elements as well. For example, Bergoglio has said repeatedly that he didn't want to make compromises with doctrine, that he was with the tradition of the church, but then he opens discussions like the ones on communion for the divorced and remarried, which effectively touch the very foundations of the church. And Magister goes on to say that he thinks this is because it is inevitable that communion for the divorced and remarried will result in the acceptance of second marriages, and so to the dissolution of the sacramental bond of matrimony. So maybe one Italian says we need to resist this. Another Italian says it's intentional. Are the Italians right? <laughs> Which Italian? <laughs> <laughs> the um, Magister is uh, giving this, this analysis of someone who is looking up, uh, very closely all the time at uh, uh, Vatican affairs. And he is, in effect, saying that Bergoglio is a liar and a deceiver. That's the, the uh, uh, practical conclusion you draw from Magister, because he says, well, there, there are contradictions, that he's, uh, the Bergoglio is saying one thing and doing or allowing another. So he is, he is operating on, uh, on uh, two fronts, to uh, deceive people and to get his, his program across. So I think it, it's uh, from someone like Magister. It's really it's a, it's a damning indictment of Bergoglio, and it is uh, a forthright expose of what this this guy is up to. Uh, are like, these comments uh, supposed to uh, console us that the Holy Father is a man of contradiction? Yeah, that there are inherent contradictions in the person that is supposed to be the the column of truth for the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> Is this supposed to make us feel good and, and solve our problems? <laughs> you know, we sleep better at night knowing that that the contradiction reigns in the Vatican. I mean, what? You know, how do, do we take this stuff seriously? Yeah. Well, but you're assuming that that the clergy has all the answers, and we know better. Actually, in fact, we we read from from the Vatican. Uh, some news, some quote from from the man himself. Um, in on about November the 14th, sorry, November the 12th, and he says, indeed, a pastor who is cognizant that his ministry springs only from the heart of God can never assume an authoritarian attitude, as if everyone were at his feet 
and the community were his property, his personal kingdom. There would be problems if a bishop, a priest, or a deacon thought he knew everything, that he always had the right answer for everything and did not need anyone. On the contrary, awareness that he, as the first recipient of the mercy and compassion of God, should lead a minister of the church to always be humble and sympathetic with respect to others. Also, in the awareness of being called to bravely guard the faith entrusted, 1 Timothy 6.20, he shall listen to the people. He is, in fact, cognizant of always having something to learn, even from those who may still be far from the faith and from the church. So you, Your Excellency, I may have something to teach you yet. You could just outsource all of your doctrinal work to people like us. You know, we'll just... We'll do it because, you know, we have something to contribute. You're just a, you know, you're just a professional. I mean, why would we go to you to, to learn about the authoritarian teachings of the church? Yes, well, clearly this is something reflected in the gospel because uh, you can see our divine Lord, how he, uh, how sensitive he was to the scribes and the Pharisees <laughs> and how he solicited their opinions. So right, that would call them the, the whole notion is absolutely time, ridiculous. Father. <laughs> the this whole goes, notion is ridiculous. <laughs> this reminds me again of the French Revolution. Uh, liberty, equality, fraternity, or death. Because he has... <laughs> that's the way it goes. You no longer see that on the French money. But that's the way the saying went. Or death. Because he has been the most authoritarian person with regard to anybody that has any sort of inkling toward traditional the traditional faith or the traditional mass, anything at all. Look at what he did to Burke. Talk about chopping somebody's head off. Uh, and all of the other ways, that, that terrible treatment that he gave the Immaculata group, uh, he has been a, a brute, uh, a monster with regard well, he's, to... Well, he's running the Committee for Public Safety, Your Excellency. <laughs> yes. It's, a, it's, it's very much in the same spirit. If you are on... Uh, in, if you accept the principles of the revolution, namely Vatican II... Then you're all right. Then you have a, a, a green card to, to really say or do anything you want. And, and yes, you'll be uh, nicely treated, and you will treat other people nicely. You won't condemn anybody's sins or anybody's heresies. But God forbid that you should be a Catholic or that you should be in any way associated with Catholicism or even under suspicion of Catholicism. Then you go to the guillotine. See, then all of the authority that the Church used against heretics is now being used, so to speak, against Catholics or anyone under the suspicion of Catholicism. That's exactly the way it was in the French Revolution. If, you had, if there was a suspicion, you would get your head chopped off. And it was also true in the Stalinist regime. You know, if, if somebody said something, made a comment, uh, the police would show up at 2 a.m. and you'd be gone. That's the mm. kind of regime that he is running. So all of this is, again, just uh, a contradiction and, and revolutionary uh, uh, you know, nonsense. Well, we have this being echoed by one of his lieutenants, uh, you know, Cardinal Friendly Ghost, Casper, uh, <laughs> goes on to say... On his he knees. Stresses, right, on his <laughs> knees, although I don't know that Ghost... But he walks around on his knees all the time. <laughs> He's such a holy man. <laughs> <laughs> he, str he stresses the importance of the sensus fidei, and says the church must open its ears to the people. So I guess the census fidei, Your Excellency, is when you listen to what I have to say. Yes. And then he goes on to say, the Catholic Church must not be self-centered, Casper said, but instead a church on the move, quote-unquote, and a church that right. is an open house, a church of the open God, 
presupposes <laughs> renewal and reform. An open house, Your Excellency. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, letting in all sorts of uh, uh, horrible people. Uh, it, well, this is just modernism. It's all in Pascendi. It's all in Pius X's description that that dogma comes from below, that, that the God who is in everybody expresses himself to people and they get this the these movements of of thought and then the purpose of authority in the church is to gather these thoughts from all of the people and to make a dogma out of it but the dogma could change the following week as people change in their thoughts and their attitudes it's all in pashende it, it it is he is just it's like he it was scripted for him uh and, and, so and, Practically speaking, that's the program that they followed with the Synod, that you had, in effect, a poll of lay people in different dioceses throughout the world, and that is to uh, intended to reflect the religious sense of uh, Catholics in different parts of the world, and we're supposed to gather these responses and then uh, incorporate them uh, somehow into our moral teaching, so it's it, it's it's exactly uh, it's exactly that that, that uh, you look to the re- everyone's religious sense, and you uh, try to uh, affirm it or find the good in everyone's religious sense, and then uh, eventually come to uh, impose it. So you, you have have them operating uh, exactly that way, and you see uh, in Casper's remarks about uh, listening and about the people of God, you see the the modernist method in that, and you see it in the earlier comment that uh, you read that uh, Bergoglio made uh, about the uh, about the people of God. So people like Burke and Snyder. And, and George have to come to the realization that uh, this is what's going on. It's part of the modernist program. And uh, that Bergoglio is, in fact, operating according to this, this script. Mm-hmm. Well, we've been, we've been going for, for almost an hour uh, now, Your Excellency and Father. So I want to take an exposition of heresy break. And, uh, I remind, thought you were going uh, to say uh, you were going to do an advertisement or something. <laughs> no, <laughs> Maybe you will. That was that, that was that was my segue here. I was going <laughs> to give people a, a bit of a, a mental break from from analyzing all of this and just remind them that Francis watches that, a production. Does that mean we can go to the refrigerator and get a snack? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. And, you know, you you just have to go with your 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 sense of of, of the, the the faith. If, if if you're moved to do that, Your Excellency, I applaud yes. you wanting to do that. Don't be don't be tied down to rigid ideas like diet, not eating in between meals, not snacking, Ember Days, all these strange notions. Uh, we want to rem- Ember Day. <laughs> <laughs> we want to remind you that Francis watches a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail, M-A-I-L, at drewrestoration.org. If you are listening to our show in iTunes or Stitcher, please make sure to leave us ratings and reviews. It helps those who are looking for truly Catholic programming to more easily find our work. Well, I couldn't believe it 
Uh, I, I've been reading Pat Buchanan for years, not not religiously. I think Pat Buchanan's got it wrong on a number of issues, but he does he does write some good things every now and then. And he mentioned the S word, Father Chicada. He said the word set of the consism. And yes. we've started to actually see this. Do we need a, like a boop boop for that? Uh, for yeah, that I know. Statement? I have to. I have to. There's a, there's a delay. I have to hit the. I have to hit the the, the beat to let people know. Hold on. Everybody said said the word set of a consism. But if if we talked about the fact that Dietrich von Hildebrand, Frank Schall, uh, not Frank Schall, Dietrich von Hildebrand, Frank Seed had their own reactions in their own time. We have Di Mattei giving his reaction. And now we're starting to see in the mainstream press the discussion of this horrible, terrible word, acontism, right? We can't even talk about it. It's actually appearing in the press. So, Father, I know you, you, you saw a couple of these articles. Can you summarize for us, A, why is this word appearing? I think that, that answer is kind of obvious. But B, what was the gist of the reaction to proposing this model? Well, first of all, it's it's uh, uh, appearing because obviously we still the the uh, people have uh, the uh, are trying to find an explanation for these pronouncements of Bergoglio coming from someone who supposedly has uh, has authority. So naturally, the question of the authority of the Pope comes up, and one starts to hear uh, more and more generally in the press the word heresy. Uh, bandied around. So some people, uh, some commentators made the connection between this and the question of of, uh, Bergoglio, and uh, then obviously it seems stumbled across uh, Sadevacantism as as the the solution that uh, has been around for a while. So they feel uh, obliged, I guess, to uh, to deal with it because the statements of Bergoglio seem, in fact, so radical. And it's not just, just recently, even at the beginning of, of uh, this year, we saw um, one reporter talking about the uh, reaction of uh, a curial official uh, to some of Bergoglio's uh, proposals about marriage, and the curial official saying that, well, if we step over this line, then we step over into the line of heresy. So uh, this idea has has uh, uh, been around, and you see Father Schall, who is a, an older Jesuit on what we would call the, the conservative uh, apologetic uh, wing of the modern church, right, raising the, the issue... Crowd. Excuse me? He's part of the First Things crowd, that sort of New Oxford mm-hmm. Review, that group of oh, people. Oh, yes, okay. Uh, 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 that's right, to, to situate him there. So he obviously has done some research on this, and he says that, well, Bellarmine and Suarez considered the possibility of a heretical pope. And he says that the state of a Conte shows up recently in these discussions, and it means that if a pope is a heretic, his chair is automatically vacant by divine law. Obviously, he's been reading our stuff, and um, he feels somehow compelled to to mention this as uh, at least some sort of a, a possibility, even though he, he backs away from it. Then you find um, the Vaticanisti, 
or a Vaticanista in Italy talking about the uh, talking about sativacantism and uh, warning against it. So obviously, this idea is being circulated because people have uh, there are some people who have this reaction against what Bergoglio is saying and ask themselves the question: Well, is what he is saying or hinting at heretical? And if so, what happens if a pope does this? Which is certainly a healthy development. Uh, again, yes. whether anyone will do anything about it, uh, it remains to be seen. But at least they're thinking it, uh, which is, uh, and, and they're saying the the word, uh, which is a healthy development, I would say. I, I was going to ask you, Excellency, what, what's it like to be discussed in the mainstream after years <laughs> in the wilderness? Yes. Yes, I mean, uh, sativacantism was it was just, uh, you know, for decades been vilified as, as the most evil thing that you could ever propose as the solution to the authority problem. Uh, even though it has absolute credentials and wonderful credentials from all of the theologians of the Catholic Church, from the very constitution of the Catholic Church, from canon law, from popes, uh, it, it's it's got wonderful theological credentials. Nonetheless, it is considered evil. How could you say such a thing? Uh, 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 and uh, so to see it in print uh, is really amazing to me. Uh, I don't. I didn't think it would ever come to that. It seems like those people, the Novus Ordo conservatives, have an infinite amount of arguments and solutions and hand wringing. Uh, that they do uh, in order to solve their their authority problem, how authority can be producing this, which is the central problem. And Father Chicada is right; it has been the central problem from the beginning. That that there is a departure between Vatican II and the truth, and the authority is seen straddling both. In the sense that the that it should be uh, proposing the truth, it is proposing Vatican II. How do we solve this problem? That has been the discussion for the past 50 years. And, and uh, uh, the, so sativacantism, of course, produces a wonderful solution to it, but uh, people uh, don't want it because they, it's so life-disturbing for them uh, that they don't want it. They, they refuse it a, a priori. That means even before really considering its merits. <clears throat> That's so exclusionary of you, Your Excellency, using Latin words. I mean, you're just, you're, you know, just intimidating. Trying to impress you. <laughs> <laughs> then you think you will think I'm smart or something if I use those Latin words. I get the, you know, one would one would get the impression that you use Latin every day in the breviary or an ass or something. It's a, a really strange, strange idea. You know, I'm looking at this this next heading that that uh, Father Jacada has prepared for us, which is the theology of surprises. But as I'm as I'm looking through, I'm not really that surprised. I suppose that's because throughout this season, I've been listening to you and Father and Justin go through all of all of the the words, or at least many of the words and phrases, and nothing here surprises me. So, for example, we hear about the false analogies, false comparisons, the idea of people being the Pharisees being overly focused on the law. That love is more important than laws. Uh, we have a phrase, uh, in the end, these people prefer their own interests rather than sharing dinner together. They do not know what it means to 
celebrate. It's easy to condemn sinners. It's easy to condemn those who do not wish to be uh, disturbed by strange things. And then, frankly, the one that's most difficult for me to understand, I I need your help, uh, Your Excellency and Father, Uh, Jesus surprises us. Uh, I ask myself, and this is is from uh, Bergoglio, I ask myself, today, we Christians who know the faith, the catechism, who go to Mass every Sunday, we Christians, we pastors, are we content with ourselves? Because we have organized everything and do not need new visits from the Lord. And the Lord continues to knock on the door of each one of us and of his church, the pastors of the church. Yes, the door of our hearts, of the heart of the church, of her pastors, will not open. And the Lord weeps even today. You, Your Excellency, you, Father, you are causing our Lord to weep. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's a bit of a surprise to me, at least. I mean, apart from the fact that we all participate in original sin. But um, what is this? surprise business. I, I, I'm I'm surprised. I'm not surprised by everything else he's been saying, but I'm a bit confused and I would guess, I guess, surprised by this. It's another attack upon dogma. Surprise means that there is nothing set or concrete in the Catholic Church. There is not a, a set of dogmas that we all adhere to, a set of morals that we all adhere to, but that the Church constantly changes. So, surprise, surprise, the the uh, man that you're living with for the past 30 years uh, in adultery uh, happens to be okay now. You see, surprise. surprise. <laughs> right, that, yeah. that it's no longer adultery and you can go to Holy Communion. Or, or surprise, you know, cohabitation isn't that bad, isn't that, that bad all, uh, after all. And, you know, what's a little fornication, you know, surprise. That's what it means. Uh, it's just another way of of tearing down the dogmatic structure of the Catholic Church. Remember that what I said at the beginning, he understands Vatican II, that Vatican II blew up dogma. It exploded dogma. He understands that. And he has not ceased to hurl against the notion of dogma every sort of insult and, and stupid comment, but nonetheless with, with effect. That that we that the Catholic Church is not a dogmatic institution, and this is just one more idiotic way of saying it. That's all. Uh, you know, the man it doesn't have a lot of brains, uh, but it, so this is just another absurd and idiotic way of saying the same thing, in, in my opinion. I have to say, Your Excellency, it's, that's it's a bit a of big... a letdown if that's supposed to be a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, it's surprise. The idea is uh, rebranding uh, this this dogmatic evolution and, in effect, the the dissolution and the disappearance of dogma. If you uh, have the patience to read his um, sermons at his daily sermons at the uh, Saint Martha House, uh, the chapel there, that it, it time and time again. Uh, he pushes this uh, uh, this idea uh, that, in one way or another, that there's no such thing as as uh, uh, fixed dogma. That this is ideology. That you can't adhere to this. That uh, one has to uh, evolve. That if you do adhere to notions of certitude, you're rigid. You're a Pharisee. You don't have love in your heart. It's a constant theme of his in the St. Martha homilies. And uh, the people who don't uh, pick up on this,
after a while, I, I think are being uh, intentionally obtuse. That this is what uh, this is what Bergoglio is is going for. This is his uh, the theme of his big program of uh, propaganda, and this is how he, he uh, tries to get across this idea of the of dissolving any notion of Catholic dogma. And uh, it, it's it's an absolutely consistent theme of his. Well, I mean, I have to say, if if uh, if this is surprised, and it's it's part of the Novus Ordo weakness of things, you have the Novus Ordo is a bad liturgy. They don't have any even good surprises. For those of you who are interested in traditional surprise, it is going to be Christmas soon, and His Excellency does need a new wing of the seminary to accommodate the seminarians. And Father Chicada is always happy to add a new church to the property at St. Gertrude. So if you want to engage in a traditional, a real theology of surprise. You might consider sending them some checks for those projects uh, at the end of the year. Um, that would be the real kind of surprise that I would be looking for personally. That um, that would be the the kind of strange thing I would like to be disturbed by. You know, <laughs> like a check for about five million dollars in the mail. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> those are those those are the sorts of surprises that Father Chicada and the Bishop welcome. So if you'd like to surprise them. Uh, we we welcome you. Um, along along the same lines of uh, of attacking attacking dogma, um, we have a little bit of the the idea of the charismatic renewal, something that uh, has, has probably been in the background here. I mean, I guess it's not really in the background when you can put a beach ball on an altar at uh, Saint Mary Major. Um, mm. I suppose the charismatic renewal is right front and center, but. Um, I wanted to read a, a quote. This was uh, from the Radio Vatican, Vatican Radio, rather. Uh, uniformity is not Catholic. I don't even know if I can keep reading. Uniformity is not Catholic. It is not Christian. Hmm. Unity in diversity. Catholic unity is diverse, but it is one. It's curious, eh? He asks. The same one who creates diversity. All these problems of diversity is the same one who then creates unity. The Holy Spirit, he does both things, unity and diversity. Unity does not imply uniformity. It does not necessarily mean doing everything together or thinking in the same way. Um, that's, there's a danger uh, of uniformity. Unity is knowing how to listen, to accept differences, and having the freedom to think differently and express oneself with complete respect towards the other. Who is my brother or sister? Do not be afraid of differences. Do not be afraid of Lady Madonna being played in the sanctuary, Bishop Sanborn. <laughs> well, I, I think, Stephen, that uh, we have to make it clear that uh, this is actually, um, apart from the Lady Madonna business, this is actually a, a statement that Bergoglio made to uh, a uh, charismatic gathering. So these these are in fact uh, his ideas, and we're not paraphrasing them. So you could almost write, not almost, but you could write a a whole book on the errors contained in those two paragraphs. The idea mm -hmm. that uniformity is not Catholic, that uh, God, uh, that the Holy Ghost uh, somehow is the author through diversity, the author of conflict, and at the same time the author of unity. The ideas are so contradictory and, and, and uh, crazy and against uh, uh, Catholic dogma that your jaw drops. 
You know, there, there is a, uh, I mean, not to defend him, but there is a Catholic way of understanding that. I mean, when you think of the Eastern Rites uh, and the various uh, liturgical differences in the Catholic Church over the, you know, many thousand, two thousand years, I mean, uh, you, you think of various customs, you think of, for example, Catholicism as it is in Spain versus Catholicism as it is in England, and I'm talking about mm-hmm. pre-Vatican II. Yeah, there are cultural differences. Uh, the the you see, it, it's all accidental. It's like different flavors of the same ice cream. It's all accidental. So I mean, you know, it, it, there is a, a certain truth to what he's saying, but that's not the way he means it, because that's not his context. You always do interpretation by the the thought of the man in other places. Uh, you interpret Saint Paul by looking at other. Other places where he talks about the same thing, he is talking again about breaking down the uniformity of dogma and the uniformity of substantial things. The very strength of the Catholic Church is its uniformity in the substantial and essential things. That's its strength, uh, and uh, that that uh, despite all of the accidental differences, it holds the same doctrine, the same essential liturgical functions. Uh, and and the same disciplines, the same essential disciplines, such as uh, indissolubility of marriage and other things, that th- those those are always the same everywhere and have been. That's the beauty of the Catholic Church. That despite the accidental differences, it has the the uh, substantial uh, uh, sameness. Uh, and but he is talking about again ripping down the essential sameness, ripping down the dogmas, rip, ripping down the uh, continuity of discipline. Uh, so you know, it's it's just another it's another song on the same album. You know, that's about it. You know. <laughs> well, I, I wanted to move away from this uh, idea of you know people who are friends of the church, the charismatic movement, and I want to focus on the real enemies of the church, the people who attend the Latin Mass, priests oh. who want to celebrate oh, the traditional Mass, and oh. people who want. Uh, Good-looking, beautiful vestments, fighters, croziers, etc. Those are the real enemies. And I, I'd like to take a moment. Father Chicada, could you tell us um, how we've been, uh, we being the Novus Ordo Church, how have they been uh, purging these uh, villains? Uh, how has the Committee of Public Safety been taking care of these people? <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's gone to work, in uh, first of all, in the Congregation for uh, Divine Worship, which is the um, part of the Vatican bureaucracy that is in charge of matters liturgical. So th- those uh, there, there were several officials in the Congregation for Divine Worship who were uh, very much followers of Ratzinger's idea of, uh, of beauty in the liturgy, of reform of the reform, of, of uh, making the Novus Ordo somehow more majestic, more old church. The uh, first one to go was Cardinal uh, Kenneth Sarez. He was the, the, the head, the, the uh, prefect of uh, this congregation. He ended up going back to uh, head a diocese in, uh, in Spain. And then uh, there were uh, some lesser officials, second-level officials, who were very much... Uh, in tune with the Ratzingerian line, and uh, they as well were uh, removed and 
uh, removed and, and uh, replaced. So those who adhered to the more uh, aesthetic Ratzingerian line have uh, have gone. Just they recently, got a little bit of a surprise themselves. Uh, yes, <laughs> that's right. Surprise! You're fired. You <laughs> uh, uh, recently, uh, however, within the past couple of days, there's an uh, <coughs> African Cardinal Sarah who has been. Uh, appointed to the uh, head of the congregation for divine worship, he has a uh, <coughs> excuse me. His uh, credentials are certainly not Ratzingerian. He is known to be uh, a little more conservative in liturgical uh, matters than uh, others, and he was uh, part of the block of uh, uh, African cardinals who uh, adhered more to the. Um, um, traditional understanding on uh, marriage at the synod. So, oh, that's uh, just from taboos. That point, that's, that's just oh, taboos. Oh, well, you know the Africans, they don't that. know what they're talking about. Yeah, oh, yeah, yes, that's right, the, the, the African taboos. <laughs> so he is, uh, uh, but he is seen as, as sort of a token uh, conservative uh, being appointed to this particular position because uh, as regards divine worship, uh, Bergoglio is not particularly interested in it. Uh, so uh, it looks good to have um, uh, the idea that, well, we're going to have some sort of diversity, so we have this conservative uh, Cardinal Sarah who is head of the Congregation for Divine Worship. So it's, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's sort of tokenism and uh, a ploy. But he's certainly not a Ratzingerian when it comes to his um, uh, liturgical ideas. Those people are pretty much gone. The other thing, the other development is that the, um, the Franciscans of the Immaculate are uh, once again in the news. People will recall that they're a um, uh, conservative uh, Franciscan religious order in the post-Vatican II Church. And uh, among their members, uh, there are many young members who did want to celebrate the uh, old form of the Mass, Mass according to the old Missal, which was uh, permitted. Well, they're, uh, they're still being uh, subjected to persecution by the, um, the deputy, uh, Father Volpe, that uh, Bergoglio appointed to, uh, uh, in effect, to, uh, to settle their hash. Uh, because of, of the uh, changes that uh, Volpe wanted to introduce into the Franciscans of the Immaculate, a number of their members, a good number of their members, wanted to leave the order and go and function and offer the uh, traditional Mass in different Italian dioceses. Normally this would be a uh, pro forma uh, sort of request that would have been granted, but Volpe is making it very difficult for them to be uh, incarnated, to be incorporated into these Italian dioceses. So this is, this is uh, uh, again, the idea that the uh, liberty is, is uh, fine, but if, it, if you're looking for the wrong kind of liberty, it's going to mean death. So uh, a number of these people are stuck in uh, limbo, which I guess the new church doesn't believe in anyway, but uh, in any event, there for you have it. For those people, it does. <laughs> uh, it sure does. <laughs> well, they've been they've been surprised by the reintroduction of limbo for for them. Uh, su- surprise you! You can't celebrate the traditional mass. Um, 
in the um, you can't make this stuff up category, we have two other statements, which are not, strictly speaking, doctrinal issues, but um, we have um, Bergoglio pontificating, no, no pun intended, on the ability of mankind to devastate the earth far better than angels. The quote was, uh, and this was a homily he gave at a cemetery in Verano, uh, when in the first reading we heard this voice of the angel who cried out loud to the four angels who were given power to damage the land and the sea, this brought to mind a phrase that is not here but in everyone's heart. Men are capable of doing this better than you. We are capable of devastating the earth far better than the angels. And this is exactly what we are doing. This is what we do. He continues this theme. Um, the Vatican Insider has a, has a quote, there is a moral dimension to this question, which would be environmentalism, which affects everyone, so no one can show disinterest. As Christ's disciples, we have yet another reason to join forces with all people of goodwill to protect and defend nature and the environment, with, with, which I, I suppose, along with the unemployment of the youth, is really the burning issues uh, of our day. Um, the loneliness of old people. Those the loneliness of old people. I suppose, apart from this being strange, this isn't even true. This isn't even true that we, we could devastate the earth far better. What, what, what can men do that, that angels that angels are incapable of doing? This isn't even factually correct. Um, so what about the nod to environmentalism? Aren't, aren't, don't we have a responsibility? No one can show disinterest, Father, in environmentalism. That sounds like a dogma. Well, <laughs> it does. I mean, uh, when I read that paragraph, I thought this is one of the clearest statements, the moral pronouncements this guy has made. <laughs> Uh, seriously, you go back and read it, and and you expect you know him to talk about uh, you know Malam and Say and Subgravi and all this other stuff, as he really goes on to speak very clearly about it. That's actually one of the signs of an extraordinary statement is binding all people to it. That all must adhere to this. All Catholics must adhere to this. Uh, that is a sign of an extraordinary magisterium. So to say that all must, you know, no one is excused from this responsibility is, it means that it's, it's binding upon all people. So maybe he has made an infallible statement. What, what about my opinion? What about my rights? I'm part <laughs> of the people of God. I should be able to take a survey here and, and give some input into this. I, I think, you I think surprised, you have been, you've been drowned by surprised. the tidal wave of all of the others who think that it's great. <laughs> But uh, th this is just another search for dogma. These people don't believe in any Catholic dogma, but as liberals and communists, Marxists, materialists, they have to have their religion substitutes, and all religion has to have some dogma. So these, this environmentalism is a religion substitute. It's the worship of the earth, which is paganism. Worship of the earth, and we have to make sure that, that uh, the earth is treated properly. Otherwise, we're immoral, see, uh, because it, uh, it's a sin. Uh, you know, Hitler called uh, any sort of infidelity to the fatherland a sin. Now, he was an atheist. He was an apostate. But he called it a sin because it, it, uh, it it's a religion substitute. So whereas they repudiate Catholic dogmas, they have all of these ironclad materialistic dogmas uh, that uh, that all must adhere to. 
it's it's so typical of, of uh, liberals to to have these these uh, religion substitute dogmas, uh, and it's it's the same thing as the French Revolution: liberty, equality, and is it stupidity or fraternity? Uh, the uh, the uh, or death. You see that that you will adhere to liberalism or you get your head chopped off. So liberalism and freedom becomes itself a dogma. And so here, materialism, which is essentially behind environmentalism, becomes a religious dogma, a moral dogma. Of course, you know the earth should not be abused. Anybody in his right mind would say that we should not, you know, throw chemicals into rivers. Obviously. But the, it's not so much what they are saying as the manner in which they are saying it and, uh, and the dogmatic quality that they are putting upon it and the moral quality that they are putting upon it. Uh, that is the most alarming thing. Uh, so also it's a typical theme of one-worldism. You see, if we're all living on the same planet and we're all abusing this wonderful planet, we all have to get together and, and make international laws uh, which favor you know one worldism we have to protect mother nature right of course we do you know, but to make a fanatical dogma out of it in a moral case is is just absurd it it's something that should be regulated by law in some sort of moderate way, not the way it is today, but in some sort of moderate way because any sort of development of the earth is going to in some way disturb it. <laughs> You know, unless we're all supposed to run naked through the woods and pick berries off of trees and all, even that is a disturbance of nature. Uh, you know, uh, the, even nature itself disturbs itself with volcanoes and weather and all. Uh, it, it's subject to constant uh, disturbance. Uh, how much uh, how much bad air comes out of a volcano, for example? Mm. <laughs> Quite a bit, I'd say. Toxin. <laughs> Toxic air and ashes and all sorts of things, or a forest fire, which is caused by lightning. I mean, think of all of those. Or how, how much how much poisonous air comes out of the Senate? That's another issue. Right. That makes the volcanoes look like small potatoes. Yeah. You well, know, we're just going to make know, those not, volcanoes I mean, pay part. We could bring it even further. What about the 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 use of, of so many cattle for hamburgers? I mean, they produce various gases that are not very good for the environment. Well, we're Especially just going to methane those, gas. Well, they do. I mean, those volcanoes sure and those those cows are going to have to pay their carbon taxes if they want to keep living. Otherwise, so maybe uh, we should just eat vegetables and and give up uh, leather and all of those other things, uh, and just eat vegetables, uh, and uh, you know wear straw shoes or something like that uh, because of all the methane. I mean, there's always some disturbance of nature for anything that human beings do. Uh, and uh, now, of course, the analogy could be extended <laughs> to the synod and to various other, <laughs> you know, but we won't go there. Uh, we won't. <laughs> no. Uh, the uh, uh, so you know it, the 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 problem is the fanaticism of it, and the fanaticism is tied to a, a a false religion that is a religion substitute. All liberals have a religion substitute. And that's why they get involved fanatically in various projects, you know, like the landmines or the some other some other uh, humanistic project, uh, which in themselves might have a certain merit, but they are extolled and placed on a pedestal in such a way that they become a religion. Mm. Well, the the last thing I want to cover today, your Excellency and Father, is basically a preview of coming attractions. 
the fact is that Bergoglio was in charge down in South America for a long time. And we are able to now look at, um, I think, what Father Chicada calls the Francis effect. So we, it's a preview of coming attractions writ large for the Novus Ordo Church that we were able to um, observe it in South America. And I think it was uh, done around a, um, a Pew Research poll. And Father Chicada, can you share with us some of the exciting and uh, wonderful findings of this poll that, that showed the true renewal of the Catholic Church and in South America? Yeah, this is uh, from Pew Research, which is an American research organization that regularly does polls on religion. And their latest just came out maybe about 10 days ago about religion in Latin America. And uh, one of the findings is that Catholics have declined substantially as a, chair, uh, as a share of the region's overall population. So Pew says that as of 1970, Catholics comprised more than 90% of Latin America's America's uh, population. But now it's 69%. So this is the the wonderful blossoming of, uh, of Vatican II in South America, which was the most Catholic uh, continent. Then... uh, Pew also showed that the uh, losses for the church meant gains for the Protestant churches, and that um, the uh, that nineteen percent now of people in South America uh, identify themselves as as uh, Protestants, specifically as as Pentecostals. Uh, you the other interesting thing is that these Protestants are more likely than Catholics to oppose same-sex marriage and uh, abortion, and they also are more likely to say that wives must obey their husbands. So this is, this is the, the trend of the revolution of uh, Vatican II in South America. Uh, it's once again it's the opposite of what is, is promised. Instead of a flourishing of the church and uh, respect for the church and being drawn to the church, that people have the uh, common sense to uh, be repelled by what is going on, and the, the uh, this is the the uh, clear conclusion that you get from looking at these statistics. You know, we we hear about well the sense of the people of God that that um, we have to listen to what the people of God are saying. Well, the people of God in South America have been voting with their feet, and they've been leaving the Novus Ordo Institution because it, it doesn't seem to give them sound doctrine anymore. So that's that's the effect that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And that's after Bergoglio went and had the uh, government spent something like $60 million or something to run that party that he had in Brazil. I mean, that was the whole idea of that, and also Ratzinger's visit to Brazil. The whole idea was to put a shot in the arm to Brazilian Catholicism, which was starting to wane. Uh, Bergoglio even said, you know, don't go off and and join those uh, groups, you know, the the sects. Uh, he, He even attacked them. Uh, and it didn't do a bit of good. I mean, they're still moving over toward them. And it may well be, the reason may well be is that they are finding some notion of objective truth in those in those organizations. 
Whereas, again, the, the Novus Ordo has dropped all notion of objective religious truth. It, ha, it has attacked dogma. It, is, it has destroyed dogma. Uh, so you know, it, it's a useless organization. And they, they never listen to their own failures. Europe is, is just emptied out. I mean, there's nothing left in Europe. Uh, those churches are, are virtually empty. Uh, and so they don't listen to that. North America is close behind because the youth are not going to mass in North America, and and it's still running on the steam of the older generation and and their wallets. But a time will come in North America when that will dry up too. And they were looking to South America for for as their last bastion, and now it's. Uh, disintegrating uh, for them. That was one of the reasons why Bergoglio was elected, because he was from South America, uh, where you know Catholicism, quote unquote, is is still flourishing. <laughs> well, it isn't. It's going down the tubes. Uh, uh, and the reason it is is because it's not Catholicism. It is Novus Ordoism, and Novus Ordoism cannot attract the masses uh, the way Catholicism did. It's still running on uh, on the momentum of Catholicism, even after 50 years. I mean, that is the tremendous momentum of what Pius XII left behind, that it can run for 50 years uh, and still uh, and still operate in a certain way. But all of the death signs are there, the, 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 the signs that it, it's disintegrating is, is, are there. Your Excellency and Father, it seems so long ago, um, in fact, uh, just... Uh, forever ago, that we sat together, uh, we were in different places at the seminary that day, but we recorded the show after the election of Francis. And I think you had some, both had some very interesting things to say, but I think it would be fair for me to state that neither of you had any idea of just how far this was going to go. Or, or am I wrong? Uh, um, were you surprised as well uh, by what has happened? Because I... I didn't have a clue, I, I don't think. I, I think I, I knew things were going to be, and I, and I thought actually hosting the show with you gave me some insight into what to expect as someone out there who might be listening. But we're, could you have predicted any of this? And so we're going back uh, from, from what your initial impressions were. I Because this is the end of the season, so our listeners aren't going to get to uh, hear you until the next liturgical year, also the next calendar year. So I wanted to take an opportunity to kind of sum up both your thoughts at the beginning, at the election, and your thoughts now. What's the contrast, and what do you expect to see next year? Well, uh, for myself, I think I can say that uh, from the beginning, uh, the initial reading of uh, Bergoglio, that I had the impression that he was very definitely uh, a, a man of Vatican II, first of all, and secondly, that he did have these um, the, this more radical take on everything uh, as he he began, and uh, uh, thirdly, that he he had a, a plan and that he had a, a program uh, in mind to implement Vatican II. So I think that that uh, as far as the the in the uh, in seed as it were, uh, that's something that uh, I perceived in him from his his uh, initial statements and from a reading of his his background. 
as far as the the specific points of the program, um, you know, these I think were simply the uh, living out or the development of his ideas on uh, on Vatican II. So I think that that uh, in terms of a few basic things like that, how they developed, it's it's not uh, it wasn't really surprising to me, given his principles. However, uh, the what um, is a bit surprising is the the speed of this development, the speed with which he um, uh, cultivated these different ideas, uh, and uh, also. Uh, what is surprising is the uh, how quick, as it were, the reaction started, and then how quick the Sede Vacante issue came up. That I think is 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 uh, uh, was also a, a uh, surprise to me. Uh, so that's that's uh, my reading between then and uh, between then and now, Your Excellency. Yeah. So I had. I am not too surprised uh, at, at what we're seeing. I had the advantage of looking at Father Fleece's face on the day of the election. <laughs> <laughs> Father Fleece, you know, the, always, the, always expre- the, the always expression, you know, uh, filled uh, Father Fleece, as we all know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, he is from Buenos Aires, so he lived under the Bergoglio regime for years. And just his whole look and expression, the shaking of his head, uh, I knew that we were in for it. <laughs> you know, that, that, and I was, I was going around with a smile on my face, I have to say, because this is what we need to flush out modernism. I thought, finally, we're getting rid of Ratzinger. Finally, this deceitful, sly fox is going to go into his hole. And, and we're getting somebody who is going to show us a real picture of modernism. I was delighted when Bergoglio, but I had the advantage of talking to and looking at Father Fleece. So I am not terribly surprised. I'd say the only thing I'm surprised at is, to a certain extent, is his boldness. And I have to say also his ignorance and stupidity. I thought that if you could make it to be Cardinal Archbishop of a huge diocese in South America, that you would have, and you were a Jesuit, that you would have both intelligence and knowledge, especially that he was born in the 1930s. He must have some theological background. But those qualities have come out again and again and again, boldness, Ignorance and stupidity, that he, you know, he's not endowed intellectually at all, and he doesn't know anything. He says things that are so ridiculous that no, no ordinary person could take them seriously. And he sounds like a, just an idiot sometimes in some of the analogies he uses and things that he says. So I, that's the only way in which I am, I am surprised is in those three items, boldness, ignorance, and stupidity, but not in regard to his radical uh, qualities. So he's definitely an apostle of Danton. Laudas, laudas, toujours laudas. He's being as audacious as possible. Um, he is. Well, can can we say? Uh, I I think I, can we say that it's a done the um, con, 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 uh, communion for uh, the remarried, uh, some sort of regularization of homosexual unions. That's already in the bag for for next year. Uh, what what do you see as beyond that, or or am I be, am I jumping too far ahead? Is that not already in the bag, um, and and we have to wait another year or two until the cup is is entirely full instead of just half full. Uh, 
Well, as, as far as, as what a, the uh, statement of, say, the Synod will be next year, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it could be anything. But in the practical order, these things are in the bag because uh, Bergoglio has seen to it that the uh, principles that uh, approve these different uh, type of activities are now spread around the world. So the, the, that, uh, these ideas, in the, practically speaking, are out of the bag. Because yes. in, in the popular mind, the popular perception uh, is that, um, uh, well, the Holy Father approves them. Yes. Already some of the uh, writers that, that we've quoted uh, report hearing, you know, from priests saying that, well, uh, They've had parish priests would have divorced and remarried people come to them, uh, saying that well they can receive the sacraments now because um, this is something that the Holy Father has has uh, basically okayed and basically approved. So why are you standing? Uh, why are you standing in the way? So in whatever they do in theory, uh, in terms of the the Senate, however they try to finesse things, that uh, in uh, what uh, Bergoglio would call the, the pastoral practice. Uh, all of these different things have have uh, have been approved and, in fact, are okay. Yes, don't forget the phone call to the woman in Argentina. Yeah, mm -hmm. and don't forget the holding hands with the priest who was a homosexual a um, advocate and activist. Oh yeah, yeah. You know the picture of that. I mean, that was all done for purpose. Uh, he he deals in what I call media. Magisterium, and that is, he he knows the way people think. That if he says something, they're not going to make the theological distinctions and, and look up the Latin text to see who signed it and and the the wordage, uh, the the uh, the words that he used to see if it's extraordinary or ordinary or just authentic. You see, they're not going to do that. They're going to say he's the Holy Father. He's the boss of our religion. He has done these things, and he says it's okay. So I'm going to do it. A beach ball's worth a thousand words, Your Excellency. Yes, and he knows that. I, I think that although he's not very bright, he is very clever, and he knows that. He he knows how to talk to people, and and he knows how people think, and that all of the theological stuff is for the birds, and that he can get the dogmas, you know, uh, dogmas, uh, liberal dogmas through that all of these things are okay. Uh, just by the media. Just uh, do you remember? Like on Monday, that document came out as if it were the synod document. We we only found out a day or two later, and very obscurely, that that was only a preliminary uh, report on the debate. At least now, you know, I'm fairly savvy about these things. It took me days to figure out that that was not the definitive voted document. But he purposely sent that out in order to tell people what's going on in this synod, and and people took it to be the definitive statement. And you know, why would you do that? <laughs> he, he understands the way people think. He wanted that to be the, the. He wanted to say, look, you know, an awful lot of these bishops. In fact, the majority of these bishops agree with me. But we have this two-thirds rule. But look at what the majority of the bishops think. That was his message, and he got it across. Mm. Uh, and who knows? Remember, John the Twenty Third reduced the two thirds to a, a majority in order to let the council documents pass, 
and Bergoglio could do the same thing for the Senate uh, next year. Sure. Say if it's a majority, and then he's got everything he wants. He's got a synod that approves all of his filth. Well, um, so, bright New Year's predictions from Bishop Sanborn and Father Chicada. Uh, this is a great way for us to wish you a Merry Christmas and uh, uh, a, a good end to your liturgy. In, in all seriousness, uh, I don't think there should be any bright spots predicted here, and I think Your Excellency and Father have made some good points. We're finishing up the season here at Restoration Radio, so we will be off the air starting December the 1st, and we will return in the new year. Um, but unfortunately, your season doesn't stop. Uh, the seminary still has to go. And Father Jakarta, uh, as if it wasn't enough to have you and Bishop Sanborn publish a book this year, uh, you're busy publishing another book. So um, this project will be kicking off while we're in the off-season. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about your new project. Yes, well, we are um, dead out of copies of Work of Human Hands. Uh, it's proved to be very popular, and we have to print a second edition. What we're uh, going to do is we're running a, a crowdfunder for that to fund the second edition of Work of Human Hands. Uh, you can help us do that and uh, contribute to that. You'll be receiving a uh, notice um, of uh, the crowdfunder from uh if you're on any of our mailing lists, if you follow me on Twitter, uh, or indeed if you follow uh, 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 True Restoration, we'll be putting uh, out information on that crowdfunder. It will be uh, you'll be able to uh, see it and participate in it at um, uh, workofhumanhands dot tilt dot com. And uh, there you will be able to um, uh, see a little uh, promotional film that uh, we did uh, for uh, raising the funds for the second uh, edition of uh, Work of Human Hands, and you'll be able to uh, contribute to it. So we, uh, of course, invite you uh, to do that to help us out. Uh, and that's again uh, workofhumanhands.tilt.com uh, for our crowdfunder for our second edition. Now, to be clear, you won't be able to get these books in time for Christmas, but it would be nice to, to send a note to somebody telling them that they will be getting this book um, soon. So maybe a promissory note as a gift, uh, Father. <laughs> Uh, uh, certainly that would do very nicely, I think, uh, uh, in a card, because we will try to uh, print the book as quickly as possible once we obtain the funds. So, so Bishop Sanborn, you aren't attempting to uh, print another book. You, you and Father Chicago already have uh, the Anti-Modernist Reader coming out this year. But you are attempting some uh, more bold initiatives in Europe. Um, I, I suppose you haven't given up on the old world just yet. Your Excellency. No, it looks like I'm just beginning, actually. There's uh, <laughs> quite a bit to do over there. Um, uh, yes, uh, in December I will be going to England and Scotland, uh, and uh, we'll say Mass in three different locations, in Glasgow, Leicester, and London, and we'll give conferences on uh, Bergoglio and other subjects, uh, and uh, I'm hoping to establish uh, mass centers there uh, on a permanent basis in order that Catholics who uh, don't want to uh, ha 
attend a mass in which Bergoglio's horrid name is mentioned, and which therefore links them to Bergoglio, uh, uh, Catholics who detest that can have a place to go to mass. And right now there's only one location in, uh, on the whole island of Great Britain in which you can have that. And uh, I think that the the Catholics in that country need uh, need some help and and uh, need some attention of the clergy, and I hope to do that for them. So uh, please pray that that the uh, trip will be a success and that we can get something going there. You'll find out more on the seminary blog, a seminary Twitter account, also Bishop Sanborn's Twitter account. Um, I suppose that was my surprise of this year, Father Chicada and Bishop Sanborn on Twitter. And uh, enjoying, uh, enjoying. If you you don't have to be a member of Twitter to read the bishop and father's tweets, you can simply go to twitter.com, search for Bishop Sanborn, or search for Father Chicada, and then you can click and you can see the feed of all of the tweets. They post different articles or or leave us with pithy quotes that are less than 140 characters. Um, they're definitely well worth a read. Uh, There's yeah. another surprise, Stephen, too, that that uh, recently in connection with a crowdfunder. Uh, I had to open an account on Facebook. So uh, you will see my smiling face on uh, Facebook. And uh, if you, you look like you Facebook, just said something sarcastic in that picture that you had, <laughs> <laughs> that you just uttered a sarcastic comment. As I always think that when I see that picture. It's sort of the smile of a crocodile, right? Yeah. <laughs> So if if uh, I'm going to use the horrible verb, if you want to friend me on Facebook uh, and you have your own Facebook account, you may certainly do so. <laughs> uh, that's um, that's also part of the the crowdfunding. Father is willing to sacrifice himself uh, to, to put himself on Facebook to to uh, to promote the book, and and we appreciate that. Your um, Excellency and, and Father, I, I want to thank you for your time. As always, I, I know it's precious, especially coming up to the end of the school, uh, the seminary year. I know, Father, you've got to worry about exams, and Your Excellency, you, you're probably still trying to figure out how to give an exam in Russian on Saint Thomas or something. So uh, I'll I'll leave you to to get back to your work. But thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciated all your work on Francis Watch this season. We I'm sure there will be people on pins and needles. Um, uh, waiting to uh, listen waiting to for the surprises. There, they'll be waiting to be surprised with season four of Francis Watch. So um, we'll bid you adieu until then. And again, thanks so much for your time and your effort this season. Well, thank you for doing all your work too. And thank you, Stephen. And thanks to all our listeners. And to Justin, who's a great interviewer, as yourself. Yes. yes. <laughs> thank you very much, Rexy and Father. We'll we'll see you uh, next season. Okay. God bless. Thank you. And, of course, yes, we have to make sure we thank Justin Soder, uh, the executive producer of the network, the man who's responsible for making sure that all of this runs on time. I'm giving him a little bit of relief. He's uh, recently relocated, and um, I am handling some more of the episodes this month. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy, who make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. If you have any questions or comments or would like to reproduce our copyrighted work on your channel in some format, we'd love to hear from you. Remember that you can always email us with questions or comments to mail, M-A-I-L, 
at truerestoration.org. For The Restoration, I am Stephen Heiner. May God bless you.